Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. Well, we are so glad you're here at Lighthouse today. We hope you feel welcome. And whether you're worshiping here in the house or whether you're part of the group meeting together uh, down in Bluffton or whether you're part of the group meeting down in Fostoria or, or maybe you're part of an online group in your house, uh, we want everyone here to feel welcome. And we're just glad that you've checked in with us today. It is remarkable, it really is, as we think about all the things that God has done uh, here at Lighthouse in the last five years. It's not something anybody could have predicted or guessed. It's just a response to prayer, I think. I remember back uh, just before Lighthouse uh, was beginning, uh, I was at a, uh, on a, a uh, missions trip down in Columbia. And, uh, you know, in Columbia, it's kind of safe not to be, you know, during the evening. So we'd go back to the hotel, and we'd go up on the hotel roof overlooking the city of Medellin, and we would pray for the city. We'd do the same thing in the morning at 6 a.m. before we'd go on evangelism. And we saw this tremendous outpouring of the Spirit of God as hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people were crossing the line of faith. We were doing street evangelism with translators, going into neighborhoods, and people were in droves asking God to forgive their sins and to come into their lives. It was a remarkable time. It's one of those moments that I'll always remember how I saw God work in just a tremendous way. As we were praying on the rooftop in Colombia for the Colombians, I remember about midweek, our prayers started morphing toward Finley, Ohio. And we started praying for what God might do in our own backyard with this new initiative that was under works and starting here at Lighthouse. And we came back and we finished building the building in our first Christmas Eve service. I'll never forget, it was a smaller group, and Fritz, Pastor Fritz preached that, that evening, and five people heard the voice of the Holy Spirit, and they crossed into spiritual life. And it was at that moment I said, you know what? God is answering those prayers. Okay? God is moving in this place. You know, we don't always uh, get to um, be part of that in our lives. A lot of times life is pretty common, but sometimes we get to jump in where God is moving in just remarkable ways. We saw that down in Columbia and lots of those trips and in Cuba and other places, and we've seen that right here in Finley, Ohio. And I'm blessed to be a uh, part of that. I could never have guessed what God would do right in this place, in and through the people of Lighthouse. And we're grateful to Pastor Fritz for having spent five years, and also his wife, Christina. She's over in the children's group today teaching. From the beginning, we have talked about Lighthouse being a church with open doors. And by that, we mean doors that are open for the lost and the hurting and people with all kinds of baggage to come inside and hear the hope of the gospel, but also a church where people are being equipped by the gospel, they're being equipped with the word of God to be able to take the gospel with them when they leave this place so that they can take the gospel with them uh, into their world outside of church. That is the light or the, uh, the DNA of the lighthouse. People saying yes to Jesus and leaning into the scripture and leaning into prayer doing that in community, doing that in recognition of all God has done for us. That's the DNA of Lighthouse. 
People have asked us, are you going to go up there and do something different? Are you going to have like laser light shows at the beginning of the service? And it's like, no, we're going to do there exactly what we're doing here, but we, we need space to allow people to come inside. Today, we're starting the second teaching on a series called What is Real? What is Real? And uh, it's about the dual focus the Lighthouse has always had. It's about equipping believers, but also sharing the gospel with those uh, who are in need of hope, people who are not yet believers. I'd like to pray together as we start. God, I pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts and our minds. I pray that you would help us to tune in to Scripture and tune out all those distractions of life, all those things that keep us from hearing your voice clearly. We pray that those would be pushed back and that that your spirit would have freedom to work within us this day. I pray all these things through Jesus. Amen. I'd like to get, begin today by telling you a true story. And then just I'll start the story, then I want to go to a passage of scripture and then go back to finish the story. Uh, this past summer, I was uh, officiating at a funeral of a friend. And uh, I, I got up and talked about scripture and talked about the person who had passed. And afterwards, I was sitting, or I went over to the side and I'm standing, and this a middle-aged man that I don't know came up to me, and we had the most intriguing conversation that I've had in a very long time with anybody. Now, the passage that I was teaching from uh, during that uh, little funeral sermon was from John chapter 14. And this is what John chapter 14 says. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Jesus knows trouble is coming. And he's telling the disciples, don't be afraid. Trust in God, but also trust in me. What Jesus was saying in that little phrase, trust in God, trust also in me, he was telling Jewish people that you can trust him in the same way that you trust your heavenly father. In effect, he's making a statement that he's deity. He can be trusted as God is trusted because he is, in fact, God. He's claiming oneness with God. Then he says this, There's more than enough room in my father's home, a permanent home, that is. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Jesus is talking about a tangible, physical place where Christians will be with him for eternity. That's what he's talking about. It's not a spiritual thing. It's a, it's a tangible, physical place where we will be with God for eternity. It's a home that we'll be living in. The book of Revelation calls this the new heaven and the new earth. Revelation 21 says it this way, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. You know, this is the heart of God. It's the heart of God to be with people. So let's go back to the story for just a minute. I had just spoken from those verses. I had said something similar to what I just said about John chapter 14. And this man came up to me and said, I don't really know how to say this to you, but I don't, I don't know if I believe that's true. I know what to say to make my wife think it's true. 
I know what to say at church so that the pastor and the deacons and all the people in leadership, they know they think I'm a Christian. But I'm not sure that it's really true. In fact, I'm not even sure if it's possible to know for sure. And I remember stepping back thinking, man, this is a guy who's 50-some years old, and he's been a pretender his entire life. He's going to church and pretending. He's just playing the game. He's tricking his wife. He's tricking his pastor. He's just pretending flat out. And my heart hurt for this guy in the moment. You know, this is a guy who hears that there's a tangible, physical place where people will be with God for eternity. I can't think of a more uplifting message. I can't think of something more positive and something more to look forward to than to be with God for eternity. And that message is rocking his world. The, the cross has an edge to it. You know, it, some people are rejoicing in heaven that's coming, and other people are put off by what they're hearing. In the moment, um, I didn't have any words to make him feel better. You know, there's no hope, there's no freedom, and there's no joy in playing pretend. It just doesn't exist there. And this man was hurting in just a remarkable way. From Genesis through the prophets and in the book of Revelation, you read all across that God will be with his people for eternity. That's God's heart, to be with us. The rub of John chapter 14 is simply this. What Jesus said is either true or it is not true. That's the rub. It's either true or it's not true. If statistics are true, the majority of people today that call themselves Christians have questions about what is real. And it doesn't matter if you're a millennial or if you're a senior citizen. The statistics would say that these questions are asked by virtually all Christians at some time in their Christian life. And you know, how we answer that question has not only a lot to do with where we spend eternity, but it also has everything to do how we live this life and how we experience a joy as we go along. Jesus offers real life. Jesus offers what could be called abundant life to those who say yes to Jesus in every situation and they walk with him. You can check that out in John chapter 10, verse 10. I want to go back to John chapter 14 for a minute. Jesus is still talking, and he says this to his disciples, you know the way to where I am going. And then Thomas speaks, no, no, Lord, we don't. We have no idea where you're going. How can we possibly know the way? And then Jesus says a, a statement of absolute truth. I am the way. I am the truth, and I am. And the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you'd really known me, you'd have known who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. You know, to see Jesus and to know Jesus is to see and to know Creator God. Jesus said it this way I and my Father, we are one. It's the mystery of the Trinity. It's something we can't really figure out in our minds, the idea of of uh, God taking on flesh, the incarnation. Uh, but Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. 
The big rock for today I want you to hear is this. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the truth. This series is about what's objectively true and what's knowable. Sometimes we call that apologetics. Sometimes we call that a defense of the faith. Lots of different terms can be used to describe what we're talking about. Sometimes people ask, why do we study apologetics? What's the point? Well, when we study apologetics, we start with the Bible. We start with what God has said. Peter calls this book the living and active Word of God. Living and active. Now, the Holy Spirit in the Scripture is called the Spirit of Truth, the one who teaches us all things. And when you put the living and active Word of God and the Holy Spirit together, what you have is spiritual understanding. The Spirit of God leads people through truth. Sometimes uh, we talk about, uh, well, let's say this. There's two reasons I would say that we should study apologetics. Okay? The first reason is this, because sometimes not yet believers hear the scriptures and they come to genuine belief. So the first reason for apologetics and studying it is evangelism. You know, the Spirit of God is the one who opens the heart and the mind of a person to understand the Bible and to understand the gospel. We use lots of different terms here at Lighthouse to describe that. Sometimes we talk about crossing the line of faith. Sometimes we talk about saying yes to Jesus for the first time. Sometimes we talk about being born again. All of these terms mean the same thing. What we're talking about is this, that moment when a person hears the gospel and they understand and they believe, okay? That's the moment of faith where it all starts. It's a supernatural event. It's led by the Holy Spirit. He gives us that, that light and that hope and allows us to see what God is saying. A spiritually dead person is regenerated. They gain spiritual life. When a person confesses their sin and they turn to God in hope and they believe in the resurrected Jesus, that's the point of salvation. That's the beginning point of the Christian life. It's the beginning point of walking with God. And so we study apologetics so that not yet believers can hear the truth and come to faith. But the other reason we study apologetics is because it nourishes and helps Christians in their faith. God has revealed himself in the scriptures, and we can know him. You know, it's rational, it's thoughtful, it's reasonable, and it's smart to believe what God has said about the resurrection. There's overwhelming evidence for the truth of scripture. Rather than being just super spiritual or gullible, it actually makes good sense to believe what God has said. And apologetics helps us see that. You know, it's completely within your reach to move away from religion and instead to know God in an authentic way. It is completely within your reach. And finally, um, it's possible for you to live with a sense of mission where you have a sense of joy as you walk with God. That's completely within your reach. So the second reason to study apologetics is because it strengthens us and it helps us as believers. Remember the big rock for today, right? Jesus is the truth. And what you do with that truth determines everything. We live in a world where truth is on trial. 
the truth, the statement that Jesus made is what I would call an absolute truth statement, something that never changes, and it's not an idea that's variable or is going to be different tomorrow. It doesn't matter if you agree or disagree with absolute truth. It stays the same. And it does not matter if it, to, to truth if it makes you angry, okay? Truth never changes. It won't be different tomorrow. God is the same today as he was last week, and he will be the same next month as he is today. It's something that we can trust because God never changes. Biblical truth, the teaching of biblical truth in the Bible is that it is absolute, that it is knowable, and that it doesn't change. Different from the absolutist would be a pluralist or a relativist. And these are ideas that are very prevalent in our society today. You know, pluralists believe that there are many competing views of truth that all have equal weight. It's a ridiculous idea, actually, for competing ideas to both be true, but that's what a pluralist thinks. So rather than agreeing to one absolute truth and following God, they just believe whatever they want. They might say something like, uh, this is true for me, and your truth is true for you. Okay? Even though they may be completely contradicting ideas. Pluralists abound. The other is relativists. And lots of folks think that truth is evolving. You know, um, relativists see truth in relation to the culture, and they might say something like, uh, well, truth is evolving because culture is evolving, and the Bible is no longer relevant. They would say something like that because they think truth is evolving. You know, lots of Christians believe we live in a post-truth world where truth is no longer relevant in terms of public debate and discussion and politics and all that, that truth has been put to the side in deference to personal opinion. But I like to go back to what Jesus said about truth in John chapter 14. What did he say? I am the truth. I am the truth. It's something that never changes, something we can rely on, something we can trust. Now, I want to go on to John chapter 18, a couple of chapters later, and build this idea of the truth a little further. Uh, in John chapter 18, Jesus is on trial before the Roman governor Pilate, and there's a dialogue between Jesus and Pilate that I want to explore just a little bit. Uh, the, the situation going on at the time was there's, there's, there's great conflict between what Jesus has said, his claim of deity, and the religious leaders are, who have this man-made religious system and they're pressing in and they've, they, the mob has formed and they've pushed Jesus in front of Pilate uh, for trial. And this is what uh, Jesus, we're going to jump right in the middle of the conversation between Jesus and the Roman governor Pilate. And Jesus answer, answers, uh, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate asks, so you're a king? And Jesus responds, well, you say I'm a king. But actually, I was born and I came into this world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. This passage reminds me, um, oh, verse 38, I'm sorry. Uh, what is truth, Pilate asks. That's a famous question that uh, people still ask today. What is truth? Is truth knowable? But this passage, it reminds me of the movie A Few Good Men. Do you remember that movie? Jack Nicholson, 
you know, he's on the, on the uh, stand, and what does he say? Yeah, you can't handle the truth. You know, Pilate couldn't handle the truth. Imagine this. Pilate, the Roman governor, is standing in front of Jesus, truth personified, right in front of him. And he instead, rather than leaning into the truth, he knew the miracles had happened. He had heard the teachings of Jesus. And yet, he doubled down on his own sense of power in his little world. Yeah, he couldn't handle the truth. There are four observations I want to make from this text. The first is this. Jesus said his kingdom is not of this world. You know, worldly kingdoms are about power over people, and they're temporary. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. Uh, you can look at history over long term, and, and who's on top is a rotation. Nobody stays there very long. Often, when morality dies, uh, those kingdoms die along with it. Kings accumulate, but at the end, everything that they accumulate goes to others. They're temporary kingdoms. The Bible, the Bible teaches that Jesus was God incarnate, God in the flesh. Jesus invaded our world to show us what is true, to show us the Father. In Colossians chapter 2, we read that in, the, in Jesus, in the flesh, the fullness of God dwelled in bodily form. To look at Jesus is to understand and see God. Pilate was an earthly leader of a temporary kingdom. Jesus claims deity and a permanent, eternal kingdom. The teaching of this book, the Bible, is that God invaded our world in the person of Jesus to show us the truth. The second point I'd make is this. The religious leaders that put Jesus on trial before Pilate were part of a man-made religious system. Now, it had roots in the Old Testament, Jewish faith, but it had evolved into something very, very different than that. And like what happens with all religious systems, these leaders were about power. They were about control. And Jesus was pushing back with truth against their man-made religion, and their response was violence. They became angry, and they became jealous to the point of making a, 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 a pact with the Romans, the people that they hated. When Jesus described the religious leaders of his day, he described them this way. They teach for doctrine the commandments of men. That's how he described them. Man-made religion is one thing, and it's everywhere all around us. Jesus was talking about something completely different. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. I know people who have looked at the contradictory teachings between religious groups and even between denominations within Christianity, and they've rejected it all because there's contradictions between all those religious ideas. And the reality is this, I would uh, largely agree with them to the extent they're comparing one man-made religion against another man-made religion. To reject those uh, is a good idea. But they don't go far enough because they don't actually get to Jesus at the end. Most people pick a religion based on what suits them and what meets their criteria as opposed to what's true and revealed in the scriptures. Jesus enters this debate with great clarity. My kingdom is not an alternative religious view. No, uh, my kingdom is not of this world. 
It's absolute. He's talking about something very different than a religious preference. It's essential that we know what is real. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Now I have grandchildren, and uh, one of, I have one grandson and five, four granddaughters, and my grandson sometimes thinks he's Batman. Uh, yeah. He has the glasses he puts on, okay? He's got the cape, and he runs around. You know how superheroes stand? They stand like, like this, you know? He does that, right? And I remember we were there a couple weeks ago, and uh, he's doing his Batman thing, and I mean, he's, in, he's fully in character. And uh, he swings over, and he hits me. <laughs> and I'm like, well, like, Sander, um, your pretend just uh, entered my real world, okay? Get that cape out of here. You know, it's like, Xander, yeah. Uh, it is essential that we don't play pretend when we're talking about knowing the God who has created us. The third thing I'd say is Jesus came to testify to the truth. We began in John chapter 14, and I repeat, uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. When Jesus came, he was not a prophet talking about truth. Jesus is God in the flesh, truth personified. He came as the creator and sustainer of this world to speak clearly about truth. In Hebrews chapter uh, 1, we read these words, Long ago God spoke in many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets, but in these final days... He has spoken to us through his Son, through Jesus. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, he created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. He sustains everything by the mighty power of his command, and when he cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. Wow. This is a beautiful passage. And what it's saying is this. Jesus is the truth, and he came to show us the Father. The words of the Old Testament prophets have come true. We can see the fulfillment of Scripture, and that's a strong apologetic that we can rely on. But to cap it all off, Jesus came, God in the flesh, to tell us directly what is true. No longer is there a question about what God is like, Jesus has shown us the Father. And after he paid for sin, he ascended back to the side of the Father. The last thing I would mention on that little passage from John chapter 18 is that Pilate asks this question, what is truth? What is truth? He couldn't handle the truth when it came to giving up his grasp on his own sense of power. And no different than people today, to accept the idea of absolute truth in every area of life when it comes to God means that we have to give up our own grasp of our own truth. We have to give that up in order to lean into God. The natural set point of all people is to rely on themselves, as if we could determine with a human mind what is really true. I mentioned that I have grandchildren. Well, I have a set of twins down in Cincinnati. 
And it's fun to watch their little minds develop. Some of you who have young children are in that same process. It's, it's fun to watch as their little minds are grasping and they're learning new things and they're growing up. Um, yeah, <clears throat> three-year-olds almost, three-year-old twins. And um, it dawned on me the last time I saw them how much more I know about the world than they know. I got a 60-year head start. They just know a little bit. But you know the reality is this, the fact that I know 60 years more than what they know does not keep us from having an authentic relationship with each other. It does not keep my grandchildren from understanding that I love them. If you turn this thing around, okay, we are children in light of God who's infinite, our creator, the one who made the universe. There is no possible way that a human, created human mind can ever know everything that God knows. Yet, we can know enough. We can know him in an authentic way, and we can understand and experience God's love. So it's important to know the difference between God and us. He's closed that gap. He's given us an open audience to prayer. He invites us into his presence. Don't let what you cannot humanly understand keep you from believing what you can know about God. Yeah. Lots of people choose one man-made religion over another man-made religion based on their personal preference. It's actually a good idea to put aside all man-made religions because all of them, in effect, are false and lean in the truth that is Jesus. Those who come to God, as a very starting point, must believe that God is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And you can rely on that truth of Scripture. I asked myself, why did Pilate reject the truth? The truth was right in front of him. Jesus is there. He knew about the miracles. He had heard the teaching. This thing was a buzz. The religious leaders were pushing back. Pilate knew Jesus was innocent. He knew the score. He's standing right there in the middle of it all, understanding truth is in front of him, and yet he rejects it all. And I asked myself, how did he do that? Why do people reject the truth today? And I think you have to go to Scripture to understand the, the mind of man and why that happens. In Second Peter, we read these words. I want to remind you, in the last days, those are the days we're living in now, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again for before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same as when the world was first created. Then it says this, they deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago. It's purposeful to reject God and to continue living in self-leadership. At Lighthouse, we define sin as choosing my own way, radical self-autonomy as opposed to leaning into God himself. It's me defining my own truth that is at the core of sin. The Bible says that Jesus is the truth. Those who seek Jesus in the Bible find him there. I want to say this as kindly as I can say it, okay? but I want to say it clearly. 
To know God is to surrender your self-directed grasp on your version of the truth and to yield to what God has said in the scriptures. That's the starting point. We're not suggesting a better religious self-help project here or a better group of friends. We're suggesting that creator God has revealed himself and that we can know him in authenticity. Jesus is the truth. In fact, the Bible says that God actually resists and abandons the self-directed. He pushes back against sin every day. I want to conclude today by reading a little bit of a longer passage that really needs almost no commentary from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But to those who are being saved, uh, they know it's the very power of God. For the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, I will discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers and the scholars and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who would believe. It is foolish to the Jews who seek for signs from heaven, and it's foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So we preach Christ as crucified to the Jews they're offended. To the Gentiles, they say it's all nonsense. But to you who are called, it is the very power of God. Both Jews and Gentiles, people like you and people like me, it's the wisdom of God. The foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans and the weakness and, and, uh, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatness, greatest of human strength. We can never grasp the fullness of infinite God, but we can know him in authenticity. We can experience salvation and hope. We can experience a changed life by the power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God. We can reject man-made religious systems and self-directed stuff and lean into the God who has revealed himself clearly in the pages of the scriptures. I know lots of people struggle with this topic. I spent probably a five-year window where I struggled with this in a remarkable way, trying to understand what's true. And I'd like to just suggest a couple books that are in our bookstore out there. Uh, one is The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Uh, this is a man who uh, set out to prove that Christianity was wrong and ended up a believer two years later. It's a great uh, read, really easy read. Uh, another is a book by Tim Keller called The Reason for God, and he lays out a, a very clear cogent case uh, to defend why he believes. This is a great, um, if you know somebody in your life who's struggling with these kinds of questions, this might be a great book uh, to help them cross over to faith. In the blue card today, I noted uh, John chapter 14 through 17. You might want to take a read of those verses. They are the clearest section in Scripture I know that depict what it means to have authentic faith in Jesus. And that's maybe something to uh, reflect on this week. We're going to pray in just a minute as is normal at Lighthouse. We'll have prayer leaders in the back and prayer leaders in the front. And this is an opportunity for you to pray with someone else if you wish to do that. You can pray about anything. 
uh, maybe you just want to come and thank God for his grace in your life. Anything you'd like to pray for, uh, this is the time to do that. So I'll pray for us, and then the prayer leaders will be coming, and we'll have our final song. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful. I'm thankful for your grace in my life, that by your Holy Spirit, you opened my eyes and my heart, that I saw you as you are. And I, I leaned into that, and I found hope and salvation, and I understand that's the work of your Holy Spirit in me, and I am just grateful. I pray for each person here at Lighthouse, for those who may be on the fence seeking truth. I pray that you would draw them by your Holy Spirit to hope. And for Christians who need to be strengthened in your faith, I pray in their faith, I pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would lead them into all truth and give them assurance and hope and, and joy. I thank you for your grace. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.